Okay. okay. Well, Can I ask um, my friend Diana to be my ears? I'm pretty deaf. I miss a lot of words. Yes, of course, of course. So, welcome to the. Yeah, welcome to the the first step, Bill and yeah. Diana. I'm really glad you joined me. So I'm going to set a little bit of the context of how how we met and and where this conversation stems from, and then I have a few questions for you, Bill. So a couple of weeks ago, maybe a few weeks ago now, I went up to Fairy Creek area with my friend and was just blown away by the beauty. And I spend a lot of time out in nature and we have a lot of forests everywhere here on Vancouver Island. But what I saw in Fairy Creek was this intact ancient forest. And it literally blew my mind that we were even discussing cutting these trees down or touching this area because there's so little of that to the point where I'd never seen it. And I spend a lot of time in forests and a lot of time hiking around and I've never seen anything like that. So I was really called to, to speak up and speak out about this issue and to set the stage for people who don't know, um, this area is slated for logging and there's been a group of protesters standing up to protect these trees for we're going on now, I think close to nine months. And and I wanted to do something for the cause. And, I, you know, I, I don't think you'll know this, but in my process of, of wondering and pondering how can I contribute and, and speaking to my people and my reach, you know, I, I've, I've been teaching yoga for a really long time. And so I do talk to a lot of clients, a lot of students. And, and one of them kind of piped up. He's worked for industry and logging his whole life. And he thought, well, I can provide you a little bit more information about what goes on in industry and how the policy and what the rules are and how that all works. And we did a podcast and I, I got so much information. But I thought, this is just one side of it, right? And I had this yearning in my heart to kind of gather more voices together. Like, that's valid. There's one side. We need to know about the policy and the laws. But I thought, well, how do the First Nations people feel? Or how do the loggers feel? Or what is government saying? And wouldn't it be nice if we could get together and discuss this issue at hand and come to a place that is, you know, where we move forward with intelligence, not just kind of doing what we've always done or doing what we thought we would do, but really gather our voices and do the most intelligent thing. So I'm really happy that you're here, um, Bill, so that you can share your perspective, knowing that it is just one of many and that my hope is that this conversation can help us kind of heal all the division around this topic, because I feel like there's a bunch of different kind of teams, you know, and we, we tend to kind of argue with each other. And hopefully we learn that we can just talk about these things where we, we bring unity and understanding. So I thought the first question I might ask you, you know, I, I got to read a, a letter that you wrote. And one of the things that I loved most about that letter is you said, people of all ages and genders and races and cultures and classes need to walk together in order to help heal the wounds of colonialism and environmental destruction. And then you said, get out into the woods. And I thought, ooh. And then at the end of the letter, you said, let me say that again, get 
out into the woods. So my first question to you, Bill, is why do you think that's worth repeating? And why do you think that's so important that people actually get out there? Um, I think it's a um, very important um, instruction by, by our elders, our past elders, I think maybe even in all cultures. Um, my grandfathers used to implore us to go into the forest for prayer and meditation and not to uh, take anything out unless you are instructed to. You're not to... Um, harvest or harm the forest or even um, have a permanent trail there. We were supposed to have our own personal trail in the forest, which is, I think, rather symbolic. And then we also have to have our own, uh, what well, Grandpa called it, paths in the forest, and that we uh, use our paths to go where we need to be comfort comforted and uh, guided and um, he said that don't go up there to cut the forest down but you, you uh, be instructed by our great mother to um, take what we need which of course what my past uh, um, my past people uh, did they um, we harvested but only on um, rather um, stringent in instructions on how to uh, and what to take out. And um, we used to have uh, just getting the harvest stuff is, or what choosing a tree was uh, quite a process. And um, usually what happened would be that um, we would go up the forest and then there would be a tree that attracted us and then it would say, I want to be a longhouse or something like that, or I want to be a canoe. And then we would dance around the tree during a rainstorm. And that of course undermined the um, uh, soil around the tree. And then after a while, after three or four storms, the tree would go over because of the delicate uh, support system that it has that uh, people, you can't walk around them too much. It'll weaken their uh, foundation. So that's, uh, so that's one thing, how we got the trees down. And um, that is essentially what it amounts to, is that the um, forest is a spiritual place that needs to be uh, protected, cared for, and listened to. Mm -hmm. As our great mother will... Uh, instruct us on how to use her providence for us. Our, so that's about the first question, I guess. Well, when I hear you, yeah. when I hear you answer that, it just, you know, brings to my heart and my mind. And, you know, I wasn't going to ask you this next, but I can't help but bring up this topic or issue or or past experience where 
this this culture of colonialism or this culture of extraction or this culture of capitalism or this culture of consumerism that's kind of driven what's been happening, let's say here in Canada, maybe also in the bigger world, but definitely here in Canada for, I don't know, let's call it a hundred years. Maybe it's a bit more than that. But so for a hundred years, this culture of colonialism or this culture of capitalism or consumerism has kind of been driving our choices and decisions. And and I think the point that we're coming to here is just that we can't deny that this culture is actually decimating the planet that we live on and that we're in relationship with and that we're coming to this time where a whole bunch of us are saying like, okay, well, that's that's happened that's where we're at. And now we're unwilling to continue this because what we're losing is what you're talking about, is this relationship with the land that you so well know from your ancestors and your culture and your heritage that, that we, you know, in, in our colonialist culture don't know. So I think when you say go out into the woods, and feel this, feel this with your feet or see this with your eyes or smell this with your nose or, or, you know, hear the sounds out there in the woods that we, we can maybe start to touch or feel or recognize just the, the inherent value of an intact forest, which isn't ours to take. We start to feel that with our own cells, with our own bones, with our own hearts, just how valuable it is to leave these places alone and we start maybe when we get out into the woods we start to realize that this other culture of consumerism and capitalism isn't isn't sustainable it isn't fulfilling it isn't meaningful and and then therefore maybe by going out into the woods and touching some of these things that you know so well we can start to shift our paradigm around what what is the value in these places rather than seeing it as a commodity or seeing it in a way that will translate into you know, paper bills that we get to spend on things that we don't need. So let me ask you. So my second question was going to be around kind of media. And I didn't know how I wanted to word it. But in my life, I see that, you know, media tends to always take one side and it kind of always puts us in two camps and we have to cheer for one and one is supposed to be the winner and the other side supposed to be the loser. And when media represents any story or talks about any issue, it tends to do that kind of divisive thing, right? And it never really gives a unbiased or clear picture. So did you want to talk anything about what you see going on in the media and how it continues to feed our biases? And and if not, that's fine. But do you want to talk at all about media? Uh, that's uh, a bit of a... Uh, broad question, I guess you could call it, mm -hmm. because some uh, media outlets are, you know, essentially conservative, you know, like the um, um, Times calling us, you know, who, um, you know, stick up for the um, status quo and that, you know, and that they uh, slant their um, opinions to, uh, to support the lo logging and loggers an economy as they say, see it, but uh, do not um, acknowledge uh, anything else other than what their motives are, is simply to cut the trees down and sell them. And their 
is a value in them trees that a lot of people are starting to realize now. And what media is seen to be not aware of is the fact that all forests have a spiritual value. They are created by our great mother as her cathedrals. And I think a lot of um, one great big church um, tried to mimic uh, our great mother's uh, cathedrals by building the great cathedrals that wall us in up high, high up and uh, try to replace our um, focus on our spiritual yearnings and um, convince us that they are boss which was successful in most of the um, industrial revolution. But uh, as the um, supply waned and as uh, now we're at the uh, end game of the um, colonialist, colonialist uh, industrial revolution, we are now um, realizing that we have to, like you say, change our paradigm, actually change our economy to uh, be uh, more, uh, wholesome and uh, self-sustaining and um, repeatable, which we uh, are at loss to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We don't know how to um, utilize our and sustain our um, earth. And we have to, again, go back to church, <laughs> go back up to the forest, and ask our great mother for her guidance. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, an essential thing that mankind has not done. And that, in fact, uh, modern religion and, um, and the uh, colonialist economy went hand in hand in the pillaging. And uh, also the main part of the religious establishments was to desensitize people to go into their armies, go into their um, um, navies, go into their, the forests, into the mines and pillage and be desensitized to what they're doing. And a lot of people are in fact, um, not, sus- not susceptible, not able to be influenced by um, outside uh, guidance, like I think uh, a curious thing of good initial motherhood and uh, fatherhood is uh, the guidance of children where they instill that looking around. Like when you pick up your children, you, you know, sometimes you have them see you and then you turn them around and they see the world. And that's teaching a child to get out of itself. And I think that is a a crucial thing that um, uh, churches um, capitalize on. They focus on you facing one way and not paying any attention to the side or anything, just be slant, just be a tunnel vision into what they're saying to you, which is okay for 
if you want to go in, into the army and die, you know, or go into the navy and you know disappear, or uh, go into the logging and uh, be rich and act tough, you know, as the loggers were up there going and demonstrated their uh, ego in front of uh, the cameras, which I thought was uh, a good um, indication into the personality of an attitude of logging people. And I think that was uh, the big giveaway for the um, logging companies. And they're now going to have to uh, figure out how to um, change their image yeah. from a, from a uh, pillaging and, uh, and de devastating um, economy to uh, a structural and uh, nurturing economy. And uh, that is not the case in this world it's slowly transforming. I think likely um, maybe uh, media will be helpful in the use of their um, information, but they're essentially all um, influenced by their sponsors. You know, they're, they all have to swing to um, the colonists, Times Colonist has to swing to their ad ad advertisers and their um, board of directors and that, and, and all of them are all steered and guided in the uh, their slant of news. So I would say, yes, media is slanted, but not intentionally. A lot of media are now starting to uh, sort of wiggle free from their reins and try to get at some truths of the uh, our needs, particularly with the global warming and acid rain and, oh, well, well, that's what I, you know, that's why I'm, that's why I'm so happy to, you know, to have a chance to, to help give you a voice, because I think, you know, there, there are a whole bunch of us who, without having to blame what's happened in the past or vilify and, and maybe we could, and maybe we should, but without even having to go there, just to recognize there's a whole bunch of us on the planet today that are sitting here present and seeing there's a need for change. And mainstream media has typically not given voice to change, to revolution. You know, media, mainstream media tends to drive whoever is in power to continue to give them power. And I think what we're starting to see, which is, you know, if, if I think about nature, it's almost like, you know, when, when nature is kind of, when there's conditions that make it really hard for, for plants to grow, or there's conditions where it's really hard for animals to thrive, what nature tends to do is create some new creative way to thrive or change or adapt or evolve. And I think that's kind of what we're doing. A whole bunch of us are going fine. If we can get a voice in mainstream media, if you're not going to openly and easily collaborate and coordinate well we're going to find really creative interesting ways to get our voice heard so I think talking on a podcast like this and hopefully it gets shared and hopefully people go like well I don't care if this is in you know on CTV there 
this is you offering your wisdom and your voice. And I hope that people will take the time to share it and really hear your message because I think, you know, we don't have to wait for government or we don't have to wait for industry. We don't have to wait for somebody else to make the change. It's you speaking up, which I, you know, I hope I get to say on several accounts today, just how grateful I am that you found the courage to use your voice, that you're giving me the time to interview you and, um, you know, and to all those people who are defending the trees, just, you know, that we continue to find these creative expressions to invite this change. And we don't wait for somebody to do it. And we don't, you know, fold under the helplessness of where we are, but we, we start to speak up and, and, you know, and dance and, and sing and make art and get out there in the woods and really, you know, be the change. So, I guess my next question would be, is what do you think people, you know, not government necessarily, government needs to do some stuff too, industry needs to do some stuff too, media needs to do some stuff too, but they may or may not catch on in time, you know, or so what can people do, you know, if they hear this, if people are listening, what do you want or people to do, or how can an average person support this movement? Um, that's sort of simple and, and uh, difficult for me to tell people, um, wow, our politicians are all essentially lip service, um, part, uh, that lip service is part of uh, the ploy of pulling wool. And um, the uh, 14 points of uh, the Horgan NDP party is um, a lip service promise. And um, whereas now they're upping uh, the uh, pillaging by 40% of uh, the old growth from over last year. So that means, uh, hey, sucker, uh, we, uh, we, we, we know we gave you the promises and we'll keep the wool pulled over you. And we're going to uh, continue logging the way we are. And then in the next election, we're going to give you another 14 promises. Well, my feeling now is that the government has proved their worth. The logging companies has proved their worth. They're all negative to our great mother's um, survival, the old growth forest and their promises now are going to have to be taken by people. We're going to have to say, okay, we're here to fulfill the 14 promises that the NDP government uh, fallaciously um, put out that he, what they will do. And what it amounts to is that the truth is that um, that was another lie. And that lie is quite open to everyone to see when you uh, see the bare spots in your mountains around you, especially the newer ones. So uh, I would say we have to now take active, open, and um, civil, what do they call that? Civil um, disobedience. disobedience steps to, um, you know, stop the old growth logging mm-hmm. period mm-hmm. we have to take it into our own hands now because 
the government is not taking yeah. it into their hands to preserve our old growth. Yeah, and I so think that is what... calling for action. Yeah, I think that is what... Action to... Go ahead, I'm yes. sorry. Go ahead. You, you go ahead, go ahead. Well, yeah, that's about it, I guess. <laughs> we have to go up to the forest and protect what we know is ours. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's what, you and, know, you uh, said it, it's making them antsy, right? You said, you know, they're getting a little bit antsy after this nine months, because I think what government and industry and, you know, all those power structures that have been in control for, again, let's call it a hundred years, they're realizing that that people can see through the lies. They're realizing that there's this force rising up inside of us, right? And that does make them antsy because we're, we're so many more people than these few elites, the ones that are making the money. And I think that that is what makes them, you know, very much on edge. So I too would just call out to people and use their voice. I mean, together, we're very strong. Together, we're very powerful, you know, so to continue to contribute in any way that you can to get your voice heard, that you care, that you're not going to stand up for these lies, that you can see through them, that you don't, you're not waiting for for government to come and save the trees that you're in support of these people who are actually saving the trees. And I will just make mention of when, when we drove up there to Ferry Creek, I'd never been. And, you know, I want to say we were on these logging roads for about five hours that day, kind of in and out. And, you know, for the majority of those five hours, what I saw with my own eyes was devastation. I was actually, by the end of the day, I was kind of sick to my stomach about just how many empty woodlots. Like I know that, you know, the government says there's no more clear cutting and there's all these wonderful sustainable logging practices that might be true on paper. And that might be the intention. And, and, you know, that might be what, what they say to the, the public or through media. But if you go on these logging roads, what you see is devastation of an ecosystem. And I don't know if it looks good on paper or it all works out in, the, in an equation of some environmental scientist that took a course at university, but I can tell you for sure that there's no more water running in those forests. There's no more birds sitting in those trees. There's no more animals that want to be there. And so even if it looks good on paper or that the policy is driven by an environmental scientist that's supposed to be sound, if you go there as a human and you sit on a piece of land that is devastated or you go and you sit on a piece of land that is thriving like that, stretch of intact forest, you know, in your heart and in your bones and in your cells, what is right, what is beautiful, what is truth, you don't have to argue this, you don't have to debate this, you know, to the core of your being what the truth is. So I think that therefore, again, you're your brilliant advice to just get out there, go out into the woods, that that is just another reason to go do it. So you can see it with your own eyes. You can see it with, feel it in your own bones. Um, okay, well, well, Bill, is there any, I mean, is there anything you wanted to touch on today? I have a couple more questions that I can ask you, but is there anything else you wanted to share that you want people to know? Well, um, it sort of covers about half our, uh, explanation of how government uses um, 
First Nations to get their political ends done, like um, getting the um, pipelines built for the um, oil companies or um, the dam built for the hydro people. And they use First Nations um, people to um, swing the vote to uh, get people to um, uh, buy um, mostly rewarding and uh, uh, in law courts, they call it bribery to um, swing uh, First Nations votes to um, favor dams, pipelines, um, clear-cut logging. And uh, so um, it's rather awkward to explain at this time in a short few sentences how the government um, does work through these things via using um, the Indian Act and uh, the treaty negotiations and uh, um, also truth and reconciliation process to uh, swing that. In other words, they use um, uh, a search for truth instilled with their lies that they will uphold their promises to um, fulfill our, and respect our spiritual needs. You know, as uh, <laughs> said in the, uh, it gets too messy real quick. That's why I think another half hour, another time would be better to delve over how the mechanisms are structured to um, uh, trick people into making pipelines all the way from wherever or um, taking the last of the old growth. And that's government policy. That's right. And that, that is plain and simple out there in the truth. So we have to uh, tell Horgan in a sign at Ferry Creek, Premier Horgan, we are doing your job of saving our forest. That will be a message to him from me. I have to cut short. I have guests. I do apologize. That's okay, Bill. I'm really grateful for the time that you gave me. I mean, just to conclude that point, I think, you know, that's the truth is when government or industry sits down with First Nations, if there is an agenda on the table, if there is already an objective in mind, it's not a conversation, right? It's if somebody comes to the table with an agenda, with a mission, with a deadline, with an objective, then it's not a conversation, right? The, the discussion will be steered no. and guided so that that objective is reached. And that's essentially, I think, how things have been managed and handled in the past. And I believe that where we're getting to is that you know, I hope that we can all stand strong together and support First Nations in an honest discussion, in an open discussion where the answer isn't already on the table, but we're actually listening to each other. So I, I'm so glad we got a chance to talk. I'd love to do it again. So thank you very much for your time. Yep. And please know it's an open invitation to join me anytime you wish. Okay. Next, the next in chapter or talk will I will try and focus on how the government um, uses these different mechanisms to do the co logging companies and 
big business favors, you know. <laughs> okay. I'd love, I'd love to hear that. I Thank have, you, I Bill. I can't sit down too much. Yeah.